Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates a transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. The Academy podcast is one offering from a rich well of content sprung from deep relationship building with wisdom guides, pilgrim participants, and wholehearted leaders we've had the honor of knowing throughout the past 36 years. Thank you to all of those who've joined us on the journey. And if you're new with us today, welcome. We're glad you're here. This podcast was recently named by Feedspot Blog as a top 15 spiritual audio podcast and radio you must subscribe and listen to in 2019. We are honored to make such a list and hope you'll join us in celebrating this lovely accolade. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. This month's podcast features teaching from Rabbi Hava Bailey at Two-Year Academy 38 in Nebraska on the topic of Hebrew spirituality, inviting silence, deliberation, openness, and wonder when approaching Hebrew scripture, Rabbi Hava teaches a spirituality that is rooted in God's mystery and wrapped in God's love. Rabbi Hava was the founding rabbi of Congregation Ahavat Shalom in Traverse City, Michigan, which she and a group of families created to meet the needs of Jewish and intercultural families in Northwest Lower Michigan. Retiring from Ahavat Shalom in June 2007, she now teaches religion, spirituality, and writing at Northwestern Michigan College, serves as faculty for the academy, and is known across the region as a visionary leader to people of all cultural backgrounds. Listening and learning from Rabbi Hava is a true gift, one we're happy to share with you now. May your hearts be open, your ears attentive, your minds curious, and your bodies at ease as you engage this work, this teaching, this truth. Listen on, beloveds, and enjoy. I wanted to begin with this idea of create a pure heart in me, because I have a little problem with the text. Oh, I know you're shocked. Um, um, And my issue with the text is the word create, because the implication is what? That it's not there before. So thank goodness Hebrew etymology is here to rescue us, friends. The word create, and, and I want to just show you this. Um, the word create here is the Hebrew word bara. And God's action here in, this, in the, the way the psalm is usually translated is create. But it also means feed. Feed the pure heart in me. Nurture the pure heart that is already there. Sustain the pure heart that is already our true nature. 
also um, that word bara, create, is incidentally this idea of feeding, nurturing, sustaining, because we had, I thought, some interesting discussion yesterday about the masculine and feminine aspects of the divine. And we know on some level that all of that is fiction. Right? We know on some level that what we are doing is imposing our, our human categories on something that is uncategorizable. So to assign either gender to the divine um, really is something we are doing for our own convenience. Um, but we did get into an interesting conversation, and one of the questions was, can you live outside the womb of God? And uh, Sister Dawn was exactly correct that the word for womb in Hebrew, rechem, how come, I don't know what it is this week. I am just all about every word that has a chuch in it. Well, bara doesn't. Oh, good. Let's go with bara and davar for the rest of the week because there's no chuching involved. Um, so, so she was exactly correct in pointing out that the word for womb, rechem, becomes the word rachamim in Hebrew, which means nurturing compassion, a nurturing compassion. Um, the compassionate place in which we are held in formation. God is the nurturing place where we are held in our formation. And I would argue that we never leave that particular womb. The other piece about this word bara, and think about not only the act of creating, but feeding, sustaining, nurturing, is also the word that is used in the first sentence of the Hebrew Bible. Bereshit bara Elohim. With a sense of newness, Elohim nurtured the heavens and the earth. So if we really want to imitate God, part of our job is not to have dominion and subdue the earth, but to nurture and feed the earth. I tend to think that there is a profound connection between the ways that we treat the earth and the ways that we think of the feminine. I think those things are connected somehow that somehow there's an expectation that the earth is here just to receive our stuff. Um, we have a tradition on the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah, the new year. We have a tradition where on, on Rosh Hashanah day we go to a flowing water and we take breadcrumbs, which are symbolic of today's word, sin, um, Mm. Um, and and we and we cast them upon the water. And one of our great eco rabbis, a rabbi named uh, Arthur Waskow, said, "You know, we really need to rethink this ritual because part of the problem in relating to creation is we think that it's just here to receive our garbage." So um, so we went to bird seed for ours instead of casting water into the rivers, or casting bread into the rivers, we fed birds with our casting out. So what's important is that in the Psalms in particular, and throughout much of the commentary literature, many God verbs are of the aspect of nurturance. 
You remember we talked yesterday about how um, the categories in Aramaic in particular, but also in Hebrew, um, are not as hard and fast as we make them here. It is not a simple binary of male and female. Some of you are probably aware that the Human Rights Commission of the City of New York recognizes something like, I, I think I have this number right, either 52 or 54 distinct gender possibilities. And some of these are are chromosomal, DNA-based. Some of them are identification-based. And so I would invite us to expand how we think about this. Um, That this is, that when we talk about the male and the female, these aren't simple binaries when we're trying to think about God. So this is not only about having a woman's body. It's about the ability to feed and nurture. So to imitate God is not only the ability to give life, but also to sustain, nurture, and enhance life. To imitate God is to sustain, nurture, and enhance life. So this morning, I present then the Psalms as a tool for contemplation, or as Sister Dawn said yesterday, a ritual of presence. So Psalms as a tool for contemplation teaches us that sacred reading technologies provide us steps for turning our words into wisdom. And when I say sacred reading technologies, I mean things like Midrash. We're going to talk in a moment about Lectio Divina. I mean Ignatian contemplation. There is a Hindu system for doing sacred reading. There's a Buddhist system. And these are well-worked-out, time-tested, community-proven technologies for how do we turn these words into wisdom. In other words, how do we go from the page into how we live? A study was conducted um, that some of you probably know, and I'll have to cover this briefly, uh, at the Princeton Theological Seminary um, on the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you have read this study? One. Heard about it. Okay. So what they did was they took a group of Princeton seminarians, divided them into groups, and uh, each group was told you're going to go across campus and you're going to go give a teaching on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And one group, they told, um, uh, take your time. You don't have to be there for an hour. Um, One group, they said, "Um, you've got about 10 minutes to get over there. And one group, they said, oh my gosh, you've got to get over there. You're late. But in between the two buildings where this occurred, the students had to walk by a confederate in the experiment who was dressed as a distressed person who was homeless and who was coughing and moaning. And what they discovered in this study was that the people who were in a great rush Princeton seminarians on their way to preach about the Good Samaritan, only 16% of the people in the high rush group stopped to help. My rabbi, Zalman Schechter Shalomi of blessed memory, says, your rushing will kill you. 
a higher percentage in the medium rush group stopped to help, and 68% of the students in the low rush group stopped to help. And I heard yesterday, and believe me, if you read my bio, I know about rushing. I know about busyness, and I know a lot about having a life that is filled, crammed, packed to the brim, and overflowing, and not necessarily in the good way. (laughs) Um, But I invite you into the idea of slowing down when we take some time to look at the Psalms, and I want to offer you some ideas for how we'll do that during our reflection hour. When we encounter a sacred text, there are some inner qualities that it is very helpful to have. Whether it is Lectio Divina, whether it is the act of making Midrash, whether it is Ignatian contemplation, or any of the other sacred technologies that we use to encounter text to turn it into wisdom. It's different than just reading. It's the purpose of this reading is to affect my life. So one thing that's important is to be hospitable to the author or authors. I could have capitalized that A, but um, being hospitable to the authors is like saying the author who created the text, whether that is the Holy One or King David or Moses or later writers, depending on who you think wrote the Psalms, being hospitable to those authors in the way that you would welcome a guest, as I was blessed here on the very first day by a holy brother saying, we hope to welcome you here like the three who visited Avraham at Mamre. Hospitality, the rule of St. Benedict. Hospitality, being hospitable to the author. The second piece, an openness, a receptive stance. And this is different than academic critical reading, where our job in academic critical reading is to delve into questions like who wrote it and when? What other texts were written around the same time and how does this compare? Did the events actually happen? The purpose of academic reading is to add to the storehouse of human knowledge, even when that is being applied to sacred text. Our work in sacred reading is to create a receptive stance. It requires an inner and an outer quiet. The text doesn't stand alone, which is why in Judaism, when we do Torah study, even if I'm by myself, I have the Torah text in front of me. I have the commentator, usually Rashi. He's pretty standard, sitting on one side. A women's commentary on the other side. A mystical commentary up here. uh, A contemporary commentary by one of my colleagues up here. And all of it is in conversation simultaneously with each other. The text does not stand alone. So sacred text is the search for truth and turning words into wisdom. What's important to understand is the text is a doorway. And think of it this way. The difference between reading notes on a page and attending a concert. It's not that the notes on the page aren't true. The notes on the page are true. But what was the difference between looking at that page of pure heart by Navatehila 
and having this awesome praise band and then singing it together. Or think about it this way. If you love classical music, you can look at a page of music like this and go, oh, that's nice, that's true, it's absolutely valid. But what's the difference between that and the expectation of going to the concert, putting on your finery, if, if, if your sister Dawn, I know she has an evening gown and tiara that she wears when she does these things. Um, um, just any day now. And you put on your clothes and you go out maybe for a, a nice dinner with friends and then you go to the concert and afterward you, you sip espresso and you go, wasn't that lovely? And you watch and you listen and you, you hear the hall filling. Both are true. But the notes on the page are the notes on the page. The lived experience is everything you have ever been. That's how, that's how we read sacred text. So in a way, you might think of the words on the page as something you look through, not at. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the process of Midrash, and, and many of you uh, read the book on uh, uh, the Burning Word book, um, about the spaces in between. The way that the Torah is written, and you'll see this tomorrow, is that there are things that don't make sense in it sometimes. Or am I the only one who thinks that? Okay, clearly I'm the only one who thinks that. The practice of Midrash is what's going on in the words between the letters. What's going on there? And it is in that space that human imagination and creativity are vital, not extraneous, but vital, because it is a path to understanding both what is said and what is unsaid. We believe in the Jewish tradition that the scripture, the Torah, is black fire written on white fire. The black fire is the written word. The white fire the living space in between where we encounter our deeper truths of the text. So during our time of contemplation this morning, I want to invite you to enjoy the silence. And I think what I'd like to invite you to do is choose a short text from the Psalms, maybe a phrase or a word from a psalm that has brought you some comfort, that has brought you some nurturance, some feeding in a time of challenge, some sustenance in your stressed or busy lives. Take some time to enjoy the silence and recognize that that enjoyment of silence is also prayer. The word for prayer in Hebrew, tefillah, means um, it's a reflexive verb, meaning it, the action of it is reflected back on the self. And the root of the word means sort of the action of taking disparate elements and creating something unitive. And silence is probably the best way into that. So to imitate God, 
is not only to give life, but to sustain, nurture, and enhance life. I would love for you to find a phrase from the Psalms that nurtures and enhances your life and spend some time with that phrase in the next hour in silence to take some time during these few moments and allow yourself one hour to be sustained, to feel nurtured, to feel enhanced, to feel loved. In this season of Lent, pondering the question, what nurtures and enhances my life, is a helpful practice. My husband and I, at the prompting of my brother and his family, decided to turn off the TV and other electronic devices in the evenings during Lent. Instead of staring at a screen and watching a television show we only half love, we're instead spending time reading, talking, drinking tea, connecting, being quiet. With a a three-and-a-half-year-old finally to bed after long days at the office, it's tempting to zone out and to think that zoning out is what will nurture and enhance our lives. Yet, in the first few evenings of enjoying the quiet together, we've shared stories from our days, laughed, planned a trip to Chicago, and read intriguing stories about World War II and family dynamics in the North Carolina foothills. None of this would have happened, of course, if we'd had the television on. Speaking about it now makes it seem like it's a no-brainer. However, it's surprising the simple things that become not so simple when we are distracted and divided by all the noise. With Rabbi Hava's teaching guiding our way, may this Lenten season bring us new ways to imitate God and therefore to sustain nurture, and enhance our lives and the lives of others. May it ever be so. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Rabbi Hava Bailey, Join us at the next five-day or two-year Academy. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.